0: Alright, welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird, I'm one of the hosts, and with me... Matt Parmley. Yes, who is the other uh, half <laughs> uh, of, the, of the duo. Um, we are excited uh, because we have two special guests. Uh, one of them, for hardcore listeners, will probably be a familiar voice, um uh and the other is a noob for us. Uh so we have um from 13 a.m. games uh here to talk about the upcoming video game Dawn of the Monsters. We have Alex Rushdie. Hello. Hi, uh welcome. We are uh we're excited to have you. And also um with him is uh from the newly formed uh toy company Seismic. Um, we have Chris Olio. Hey, everybody. Hi, and uh, and welcome back, Chris. Thank you for having us. Yeah, uh, I've, I've known these guys for, uh, since 2011-ish, and so, um, it's, it's awesome to not only have you guys on the podcast with us, but also to see, you know, you actively developing your own projects and stuff within the genre, um... And uh, yeah, we are gonna talk about the game and the toy, so I guess to kick us off, um Matt, do you wanna get the 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 party rolling here?
1: yeah, um, so Alex, I wanted to start by talking about the blog that you have dedicated to Kaiju games. Can you tell us uh what led you to create it and how long have you held a fascination with uh video games
2: so um First off, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm, I'm a long-time listener, huge fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I started Up From the Depths uh, earlier this year. I had planned to start it for a long time, actually. And uh, basically, I just wanted a outlet that was pretty informal to just talk about game design stuff, um, kaiju stuff, and you know, most often the intersection of those two things. So, you know, in my professional life, I'm a video game developer. I have been for just about five years now. But in my non-professional life, I'm just like a huge kaiju nut. So I just wanted a space to talk about uh, most of it highlighting video games that people might not have heard of, or talking about them in a way that they may not have uh, talked about them before. Because while there are some game developers in the Kaiju community, and I, I even remember when G-Fest, uh, Simon Strange uh, came out and like gave a little talk, there's um, there's a huge appetite for video game content in the Kaiju community, but there's not a lot of people talking about it from like a, like a designer perspective or a game developer perspective or talking about the history of these games. So I just wanted to you know, throw in my two cents. Um, I, I, I update it fairly irregularly. Uh, to to be frank though part of that was because I decided to panel this year at G-Fest and I decided well it's my first year paneling so I'm going to do three panels instead of starting with just one and that took up most of my free time that I would have spent on the block
1: yeah panels will do that to you (laughs) at (laughs) G-Fest
0: that's why every year I only do one and Matt will go off and do like two or three I'm cool with just the one
2: (laughs) that's because you're a smart sensible man and uh, (laughs) (laughs) we're maniacs uh so but but that uh that panel um led me to a lot of really great research and i was able to record it and upload it to my blog anyways so now there'll be a much more regular stream of content um most of it is highlighting specific kaiju games but uh, hopefully i'll get some time to talk about uh you know game design in general and enlighten people to that kind of stuff
0: um i do want to mention um i don't know what i what crazy thing i was doing but i missed the the kaiju game history panel you did and and then i went back when you'd uploaded it onto youtube and it was great um it's basically like what our video game episode should have been (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> our episode was just me and Matt and Kevin from Mazer Patrol like oh well there's this one I haven't played this <laughs> um, but I also liked that that was a good episode yeah. I was into it well that thank you fallout. Yeah. Um, but uh, in a weird way it also works as kind of a companion piece to that because ours just focused on like the Godzilla Gamera Ultraman stuff and yours was basically like things that are not in the film franchises you know so king of the monsters and and what was the crazy one about the Salary Man who oh. wrecks his house and the more stuff he wrecks he gets bigger or something that was uh Hakayo king of crusher i love that game <laughs> yeah that was insane <laughs> and i'd never heard of that like there were some really deep cuts on there so yeah anyone listening check that out because there's some some wild wild stuff
2: and and there's still um like because i'm i don't know some kind of psychopath who will spend countless hours researching this stuff there's still like enough for another at least one if not two panels um and i'm hoping to come back next year with another kaiju video games panel so you know for for those who are for, for those who are going to the youtube comments and complaining that i didn't talk about shadow of the colossus like i hear you <laughs>
1: um there'll be a second Every, part. Everybody knows about that game though. <laughs> That's the thing. Right. I was trying to That's avoid the win. It's a great one. Yeah, it is
2: it is a classic, but uh but yeah, I'm glad you guys appreciate it.
0: Um so we're we're going to get into 13 a.m. a little more, uh but just really quick uh, w- tell us really what like the indie gaming industry is like i mean first of all it should be known i haven't owned a console since playstation 2 the last video game i beat was metal gear solid 2 so like i am so out of touch i'm such an out of touch dinosaur when it comes to games like in your uh i don't I, i just remember like constantly after talking about like almost so many games on your panel you're like and this one's available at the like playstation store and in my head i'm like well, like, is that available? If I have like a PlayStation Five, and it's like, yeah, like I'm so I, I'm I'm so clueless now. I have no idea how things work, but um, but yeah, I it, I'm familiar with you know the indie movie world and you know indie record label world, but like. Tell us a little bit about like the indie video game world and you know what does it take to develop a game that gets recognized in mm-hmm. in a kind of mainstream capacity
2: Yeah for sure um yeah and the, and the game industry is it's very rapid paced it's always changing and there's new platforms and new stuff coming out all the time so i i i don't blame you for being uh, unable to catch up with it cuz like there's uh, this month, there's a whole new platform with Apple Arcade coming out and Google Stadia is coming out sometime soon. Like, it's it's out of control. Uh, but that keeps it fresh and exciting. So basically, you know, my story is that uh, when it been six years ago, I moved to Toronto and uh, I, I studied game design. So I had already studied uh, visual art and design with a focus in film production. And then I worked in film and video production for about a year then I took a gap year, uh, I did some volunteer work abroad, and then I was like, what What should I do next? And so I kind of like flipped a coin between video games and movies, because I'd always loved video games. And uh, it landed on video games, so I, I studied a post-grad game design program. And I did not go into that program planning to work uh, as an independent studio. So, you know, basically, the studios kind of split into big triple a studios your your ubisofts your nintendos your sony's these massive companies that have loads of money and produce the biggest games and uh these smaller indie studios that basically to be to be considered an indie studio is just that you know you're not um you're able to to make your own decisions for your games it's not necessarily funded by someone who's dictating what you have to make And to put things in perspective, something like, I don't know, Nintendo games or Rockstar games or Ubisoft games, they're like minimum, you know, I would say 10 to 15 million minimum. And then all the way up to, uh, well, I mean, over hundreds of millions to make those games. So indie studios are operating in the like sub $5 million budget range. And uh Yeah, so I I went into this program expecting to, you know, go over to Vancouver and work at, you know, EA or Nintendo or whatever it was. And instead, what happened was we worked on a Game Jam game, which is a Game Jam is a it's like a 48 hour film festival with video games. You have you have two days to make a game from concept to completion, which is nuts because games take a lot of work to make. So people just don't sleep for the entire time. And we made a game uh, called Runbow, and Rumbo was very popular at this event, and people seemed to really like it, so we decided to just keep working on it. And then we kind of like jokingly decided, well, we could just form a company and try to release this thing. So we showed it to Nintendo, and Nintendo was like, we really like this game, you should finish it. So then we kind of panicked, we're like, I guess we have to make a company now. And our plan was really to only release the game, and then that would be it. Like We would have a, a, basically something on our resume to say, hey, we've released one game, will you hire us? And that's all we thought we would get out of 13am games, because we didn't think we'd make enough money. And once we finished the game, thanks to some government funds uh, here in Canada, that's something that's pretty great, especially in Ontario, we were able to finish it, it came out and we made enough money to keep going and then you know five years on, I'm still working at the same studio now making a game about Kaiju so in terms of the indie landscape, there are no shortage of indie studios there's lots of them, but most indie studios and most startups in general uh, struggle to last half a year and then um Another huge chunk struggled to last a year, and then two and a half years, and then five years. So the fact that we survived five years I, I was like a huge deal for me. I'm like, yes, now we just have to survive until 10 years. And indie studios come in all shapes and sizes. A lot of the games that you and I would have grown up playing, 2D platformer games like Mario games or 2D action games... A lot of the old genres that big AAA studios don't touch anymore, it, indie people are coming in and making those games, titles like Cuphead or Shovel Knight or um, things like that. So being an indie is great. It's also super tough uh, because it costs a lot of money to make a video game. And due to digital distribution, you know, being able to purchase things directly downloaded onto your device through an app store of some kind, we're able to basically manage our own business um, entirely so indie studios of, of our style are really only like the past i'd say eight years or so have we kind of started to exist so yeah that's kind of like the the long and short of where the indie um i guess craze is right now
0: okay yeah
1: growing up i definitely played a lot of video games uh, my current favorite game is probably dragon ball fighters but i actually play that with my my five-year-old and he beats me at it all the time so that tells you how bad i become <laughs> Uh, Chris, I wanted to ask: Are, are you a video gamer at all? You know, um, kind of like Kyle was saying. Like,
3: I, I have a huge appreciation for video games, but a lot of the modern stuff I haven't quite got into. I don't think I've actually gotten a console since PlayStation Two, but <laughs> a lot of my friends are. So, like, I kind of live vicariously through them. So, like, hey, I got this new game. Let's play it. It's so, like, you know, I'll go over to their house and you know, play you know whatever it's you know the new Spider Man or any of these other kind of games. But I, you know, I, I have a big love for it, but I just don't. Play, just, I don't always have the time to sit down with it, but it's just, it's amazing how, you know, I, you know, when we were kids, man, it was just like us with the cartridge, you know, playing Nintendo and now it's, you know, online and networks and it's just, it's pretty wild.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, think, talk, thinking about like the, the games that people in our audience will probably, you know, like the Atari games for Godzilla, they had that weird Godzilla sim that came out for uh, PlayStation. Did you guys like that game at all? Did you, did you play it? It was fun.
2: The the recent one.
1: Yeah, it came out what last oh, year? Yeah. I'm trying to think of the the name where you like walk around, destroy the city, and you start at fifty meters and have to grow to like. 100. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I that game was like I, every now and then I'll pick it up just to mindlessly play it. Like it it wasn't great, but it definitely like something about it certainly scratched the the kaiju
0: itch. <clears throat> um, yeah, the last Godzilla game I actually played was Save the Earth. It was forever ago. Well, I guess I played the mobile game. Does that count? <laughs> the new one. <laughs> that counts. I mean, I, you I kind of that just game like, like tap the screen a bunch, but yeah, yeah I'm was... still not sure if I'm even playing it properly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: His finger gets tired after 30 seconds. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, then that's also like how old and lame I. Like, I just had a conversation with a coworker like a few months ago, and he it took him like a half hour to explain like the concept of like loot boxes. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was, do not understand. And like and I just I was like, okay, now I know how it felt when like I was playing Super Nintendo, and my parents had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, My, it's crazy.
1: Landon started talking about Minecraft, and like I literally, I know what Minecraft is, but he knows things about. it. I'm like, how do you even? I don't, I don't know how to play this or do this or any of these things. So I, I, I definitely get you there. What? Uh, so real quick, favorite Godzilla game? Mine would be Godzilla. Mo- the, the NES game that came out when we were wee lads. Was it Monster of Monsters or whatever?
2: That's a classic. That's yeah. a classic. I think. There's a lot of games that I like, but I'm going to be the weirdo. Uh, and My favorite Godzilla game is actually a, a Game Gear game. A Godzilla Game Gear game. I think it's called like Godzilla Great Monster War or something like that. But it's just like... it's it's. I don't know if you ever played Godzilla 2 on NES. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like that in that it's a top-down strategy game, but as soon as a battle starts, it switches and becomes like a Street Fighter-style fighting game. And it's a lot of fun. It goes through like... I think like five or six of the movies and you just replay the scenarios. And um, that's like one of my favorite Godzilla games. When I when I first played it, I couldn't help but like beat the whole thing in one sitting. I was like, Oh, this is this is great. So
0: Chris, do you have a favorite kaiju game or
2: Godzilla game? Uh probably
3: definitely Save the Earth for PS two. I played that game to death.
0: Okay. I'm probably going to go with the Monster of Monsters. I it's probably not the best one, but it's definitely the one I played the most. Um, so Alex, what what what's your position at 13 a.m.? So were, are you you were you one of the founders or
2: Yeah, uh there's a team of there's seven of us at the company now who were in that class when we made Rumbo that are all co-founders and I'm one of those and I'm also the creative director at the studio and the CEO.
0: All right, well.
1: That's pretty out. I feel like you covered some of this, but can you can you tell us some of the big differences between being a game developer and working with maybe some working as a developer with other gaming companies?
2: So I think that the main thing is, you know, we've we've formed our own studio. We've got our own office. We're still Basically, just a bunch of former students who are who figured this whole thing out as we're going, and we, uh, you know, essentially collaborate and make whatever we we want to make. So, as opposed to like a kind of salaried um, job where we come into an office and work on some huge project where we're making like, I don't know, today I'm just going to make a bush for this one level of Assassin's Creed and then tomorrow i'm going to make i don't know a fish that shows up in this one area of assassin's creed we uh we get to come in and do a lot more creative and intense stuff cuz our games are smaller scoped for a smaller team we're only about 10 people total and uh and we set our own like work hours our own policy all that stuff so it's it's really just like we have a lot of control over what we want to do uh, as opposed to working for some large company where you're part of you're kind of a smaller cog in the larger workings of a project because some of these big games have hundreds of people working on them
0: so what is a developer and how is that different from say for for the novices out there who Mm -hmm. don't speak video game what is a developer and how would that compare to i don't know like nintendo or Atari, or et cetera, et cetera? So, uh,
2: when I use the term developer, it just describes any person who's, you know, uh, working on a game. They could be an artist making art. They could be a programmer uh, writing code. They could be a designer designing stuff, or maybe a sound creator. Um, And then the difference between, like, so someone like a big company like Nintendo is usually uh a publisher. So if thirteen, if I you know I'm a game developer and my company is a game development studio, 13am games, we might for example say if Nintendo was like, "Hey, 13 m games, we want you to make uh a Mario game where Mario has a gun and surfboards." And we'd be like, "Okay, that we'll sounds make the awesome. Game, though, we'll like. develop it. I yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pitch this to Nintendo once we get off this call." And uh <laughs> basically the developer are the people who would actually make the game and the publisher is the people who have the money to pay for the game and market it and distribute it kind of similar to like, um, in books you have the author and the publisher In games you have the developer and the publisher and the developer would be like the author.
0: Okay. So would like rockstar games be a developer? So rockstar is,
2: I got to check. So Rockstar is a, is a publisher, or, or at least like Take-Two, I think, is their parent company. It, it gets a little complicated with some of them. And then I think Rockstar, you might hear people say, oh, there's Rockstar North or Rockstar Toronto, Rockstar whatever. So what Rockstar does is because they're a huge company and they own all these studios outright, they publish their games. And then, they're like, okay, Rockstar North is the developer of you know Red Dead and Rockstar, I don't know, LA is the developer of GTA Five you know that kind of stuff so different studios will handle different game series okay or different developers will handle different game series that makes sense
0: okay um so obviously well this question kind of answers itself a little bit now that i know that you are like the ceo and co-founder but how did dawn of the monsters get off the ground i take it there's no there wasn't really anyone you had to convince since it's you <laughs> making the decision right well i mean we, we <laughs> true but we do we we kind
2: of i want to make sure when we're working together as a group that you know everyone is excited about the game and that we can work on it together because games often take upwards of two years to make and if someone's like Oh, we're going to make a game about cowboys, and no one really likes cowboys. Then it'll be miserable to work on for, for two years. So, the story of Dawn of the Monsters goes back a few years to um, a, a game pitch to another studio from a while ago. That you know, there was kind of like a a request for proposal, and we had this idea, and we pitched it to them, and they were like, "This is really cool." And then last minute, things kind of fell apart. And so we actually had to shelve the idea and work on an entirely different game. And then two years later, we kind of decided to revive it, but change it. So uh, initially we had planned to make like a kaiju fighting game. And then we were like, you know what? It'd be more fun to make a, a co-op action game. Like a, like a brawler RPG. Kind of like, in some ways, like King of the Monsters or Streets of Rage or Final Fight. Um, but four-player co-op, totally destructible cities, that kind of stuff. So... Then all we had to do was to take the concept and explain it to the government agencies that we come to for funding. And as long as they were like, yeah, this is cool, and they signed the checks, then we were like, okay, it's good to go. And, uh, you know, just just so we can go on record as saying the uh, Ontario government uh, likes Kaiju. They, they are into this. So <laughs> they, they gave us some money to help make this.
1: That's pretty sweet.
2: And, and then from there, we've been taking it to, I mean, where there's stuff I can't talk about, unfortunately, but other other publishers that are interested in, in getting involved, um, the response to it so far has been really positive. So we're quite happy with it.
1: That's awesome. Uh, how did that pitch meeting go to the government? Like, what is that even like? <laughs> you walk in and just like... <laughs> <laughs> Shit your pants immediately. Is that how that?
2: <laughs> I just walk in holding one of my like kaiju sofabee, and I'm just like, listen, <laughs> this is really important.
1: I'm gonna take my toys and have them fight on the table. Imagine yeah. that, but in your <laughs> video game. <laughs> That's
2: exactly it. Uh, it's it's not that exciting. There, there's a there's a process where they basically you have to fill out a whole bunch of forms and detail out <clears throat> everything you plan for this game. Detail out your budget. Detail out your marketing plan, your target demographic. Uh, You really have to explain a lot of stuff in in detail. And you also have to explain to these government agencies why you think this will make money, right? Because if they don't think it'll make money, they're like, well, why would we fund something that's like doomed to fail? So uh, what's interesting about that is that thanks to the Hollywood resurgence of kaiju movies since Pacific Rim, right, there's been at least one giant monster movie every year in Hollywood since then. Uh that's really helped because we can then point to audience, you know, attendance numbers to box office receipts, all that stuff to say, hey, here's like the general size of this audience to make this stuff. Whereas before it was really tough to make that kind of case. So um hats off to you know, Legendary and and Guillermo del Toro and all those guys, because if uh, and, and Thomas Tull, because uh, uh, that was actually a huge boon in convincing people that, hey, there is an audience for this stuff. Um, it doesn't have to, uh, uh, like, you know, here's, here's the math, here's the numbers.
0: I'm just imagining Alex, like, in the middle of, like, scenes from Shin Godzilla, where he's, like, meeting with government people, and then <laughs> <laughs> they have to go somewhere to fi- sign a form, and then there's another meeting, and... <laughs>
2: exactly what it's like. We have to stand up and sit down and then stand up again.
1: <laughs> and then they ask you, like, who are you talking to? That was a—that's the only line I remember from that movie. Um, so, so I want to diverge, and I want to talk about Seismic for a second. Um, so you both, Chris and Alex, you both um, just started Seismic, and you made the first figure for one of the game's monsters. Can you tell us what led to the creation of Seismic and what it specialized in? Sure. Um, we kind of started seismic,
3: kind of on a whim and an idea. It all started in the backyard at G Fest, <laughs> where lots <laughs> of good ideas get made. Um, yeah, we were. It was 2017, and we were kind of talking about a lot of things. And I, me and Alex, have been friends for years. We, one of, he's one of the first guys I met at G Fest, and um, you know, it, we were just more or less saying, you know, we should we should do something. We should work together on something. And you know, we kind of just agreed right then and there. It was going to be something we we're going to develop, and you know, fast forward to uh, 2018, it was kind of like our beta test for Seismic because we we're like, all right, you know, we're going to do the table, and you know, every, I think everybody that goes to G Fest knows if you're involved in G Fest, it's a lot of work, um, and you know, we just had a lot of fun. Um, you know, our shout out to all the guys that help us every year in our crew, and uh, we just everybody was having a good time, and you know, we were you know trying to move things in product and. We both had made kind of um, more or less a promise to each other and and, and amongst our group. And we said, you know, come hell or high water, damn it, you know, within one year we're going to have a toy. Because we've always been into these toys and and figures and, you know, and and me recently the last few years. I mean, I know Alex has been a much uh, bigger fan of SofaBee longer than I have. I mean, I'm still like newbie with it, you know, only really collecting it in the last, you know, five or six years. Uh, But we were, you know, doing a lot of things. And, you know, we were just like, all right, you know, what are we going to do? So then it became a process of like, you know, let's let's just get our feet wet and let's just make a toy and let's get that process. And then, you know, kind of we'll go from there. And, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, oh, we're gonna, are we going to do like a crypto monster or something, you know, just something that's like interesting. It might cross section of the genre. And, you know, we were talking and Alex was like, hey, call, you know, go on Skype for a second. I got to show you something. And, and that's actually when he was like, listen. I'm working on something, and I can't tell you about it, but I'm going to tell you about it. And he kind of pulled up um, basically the model of Megadon and told me about Dawn of the Monsters. And it was instantly like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Um, and then it became the process of like, all right, once we agreed, that's this was going to be our target first toy, uh, we kind of got the ball rolling, setting up the company, you know, branding it, uh, et cetera. And, you know, the process of the toy took, you know, what I would say what a good nine ten months Alex, from start to completion
2: yeah, probably uh i probably closer to nine months all all in
3: you know and it was actually it was a cool experience because you know working with his crew and and designers you know it was it was fun to see you know again the the model of the character in the game, which was impressive and like really neat looking and then how his team transferred that and stylized it for Sofa b was just like I remember getting the original pictures in, like you were sending me like the screenshots and it was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. It's like so cool. And I got excited about it. And we both were just kind of, you know, again, it was, it was, it was one of those really cool situations in life where you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this and we're going to do this. And, you know, and, and it does come to fruition. So that was a, a, a nice, like silver lining and everything.
2: Yeah. And it was good timing too, because like, Chris and I had basically said, okay, you know, uh, since 2017, we, we would say every year we'd say, okay, we're, we're going to do a figure, we're going to do a figure, and you know, we were making decent enough money at the um, uh, at the dealer's room, but you know, in order to really incorporate the company and do all that stuff and then make the figure production, like it, it costs a lot. Yeah. So obviously. One thing that was super fortuitous was just the fact that 13 a.m. was like, hey, we want to make this this uh, monster game and we want to make a promotional toy with it. So I was like, hey, I'll make that toy. (laughs) And uh, and everything kind of fell together really nicely. So it was just like really good, good timing that everything was able to work together. And I was able to to, you know, marry those two ideas uh, with Chris.
0: Was there toys anything? are awesome. Oh, go, go ahead, Bert. No,
1: no, <laughs> no, I was going to say the toys are actually awesome. Uh, seeing them in person, you had what? You had the red one, but then you had the other one that was multicolored and actually has translucent vinyl for some pieces of it. Very yeah. sharp, really thi- like. I mean, it's a big chunk of vinyl for sure.
3: Yeah, and you know what? The, the funny thing was, um, we had designed one, and um, our manufacturer sent Alex originally. You know, the original one was like you know they send you a three D prototype. You know, it's all 3D printed and it's like alright this is kind of what it's going to look like and we both really liked it a lot and I guess the way the universe works or it's just happy accidents um, I think it was in April this year um, they had sent us a test shot of the actual actual toy and it looked fairly different like almost I would say on some level Alex like night and day different than what we originally were like alright we're going to make but it was like Oh, we love this like so much better so that was more exciting because it, it just it it had something that i've never really seen in a sofa figure before and this kind of translucent iridescent almost like you know stained glass quality it just really caught my eye um alex got really excited about it so you know for us it was like a cool accident and then you know you just you go from there in the design process of you know okay let's tweak that a little bit or color that differently and you know, so that was that was really the uh, the fun part of it all. And overall, I mean, it, it was a look. Don't get me wrong; it was a lot, a lot of work, but it was actually an incredibly fun process.
0: Yeah, it, that figure definitely has a look to it that I mean, I'm not a toy guy, so probably anyone but me <laughs> can probably say how close I am here. But it doesn't look like. Really, anything I've seen as far as you know, it has a very kind of shiny texture. It's it's very it, there's pieces that are translucent. Um, it's not something that I think I've seen myself in a in a in a kaiju toy. Yeah,
2: I mean that's 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 great to hear. That's so it, so going- so
0: it's very eye catching right off the bat in, I mean, Mm -hmm. even as I am like the last, like I, I'm worse at talking about kaiju toys than I am about video games. Like I'm so out of touch and like, not in the loop, but it, it, it just, it looks like something I've, I've never seen. I don't know, Matt, you're a toy guy. I, am I, am I talking? No, I mean, honestly,
1: and and I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke at this. I really do mean this. Like look like when I walk past the table, it it is really eye catching. The colors really pop, and like it's very different from every other thing that you find at, at G Fest. And
0: it's the um, shiniest kaiju toy I've probably ever seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it was, it was pretty cool. And like, I mean, I, I spent a lot. I didn't buy very much this year. I really spent money on just getting stuff for Landon because he he wanted a couple things. But like, it it was a nice figure, man. If I had if I had some money to to spend, I would have definitely picked one up. Um, but it was it was a, a super. I mean it's 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 a big figure too like it's not it's not like a six inch figure like i think it. what is it like eight ten inches probably tall i would, I would
3: imagine it's, it's an eight inch scale and it actually originally it was supposed to we were actually supposed to do about a six inch scale that's what we were originally designing and once we got the final kind of like your test prototype after you get your 3d printed version you know a few months they actually make a actual product and they send it to you to look over so it was alex got and he was just like oh wow
2: bigger than we were supposed to it's like nine inches
3: yeah yeah it was really that was exciting because you know you think you're going to get one thing and even again you know we you know we were happy that you know we were able to get like something really interesting with just the wrist articulation so you can kind of have them in different poses and turn the wrists and i always thought that was a really cool feature that um was kind of something that was included in what we got as a final product
0: and it at least seemed to me like it was selling well. I saw quite a few people walking around with them, and then, you know, you just launched the Seismic website, and I noticed the the kind of standard edition is sold out. I mean, is it yes. selling about as good as you thought? Better? Or, 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 like, how is it doing compared it's, to what your expectations were?
3: Um, you know, you're, uh, you always try to be realistic with your expectations. I think with anything you work on, whether it's a film, video game, and toy, you know, you always hope that, you know, you have you're personally satisfied with it and you hope that people like it and i mean i don't think we i mean the reaction could couldn't have been any better i mean we were we were really really happy with how people took to the character how they took to the toy and it's i mean not good it really sold great i mean as of right now i mean i think we have just three of the reds left on the site every they're all gone and that's for it's a toy out.
0: for a game that's not even out yet, you know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, so that, that was that's a good sign,
2: us too. <laughs> especially like the 13AM side was. You know, some of the 13AM guys were like, because we've done some merchandise for our other games before, right? And it's it's done okay. It's it's sold enough over a long period of time. Um, but when I when I came back from G Fest and I said, oh yeah, you know, we sold this many megadons. Everyone did like a a double take they were like what we like we haven't even formally announced the game and the figure is already almost sold out and i was like yeah that's kaiju fans man they're they're nuts
1: They <laughs> are definitely crazy that's for
2: sure nuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah we're, we're really happy with with uh the response to the figure and, and just uh, people
3: like just complimenting yeah. to, like during the weekend like people had just some really sweet and just pretty amazing things to say about it and that you know i don't think that could yeah, there's just not there's no feeling that can replace it like to me uh, and to alex it's just that's just it's it's, it's awesome yeah
2: well, and uh, another thing that we did actually and this is chris's idea was when we got the prototype we actually took it to five points festival in new york i don't know if, if uh, you've ever attended but it's basically like a designer toy convention uh, it's a really cool event and it's there's just loads of people who make like some of the best designer soft vinyl toys in, in the world show up there. And we just showed off the prototype. We were just like, hey, if you're interested, let us know. We can take down your email. And uh, that was really cool because we got people who've been in the toy game way longer than us coming over to look at it and be like, wow, how'd you do that? That looks so cool. Like a lot of compliments, a lot of feedback. It, it really helped us kind of like, get our confidence in the figure going into yeah. g-fest knowing that these uh these toy freaks were into it
3: right and, and, and not even having it for sale just people like stopping by and and, and you got the almighty like oh, that? i want you to i want to buy it i want to buy it and it's like well it's just the prototype it's not for sale you know yeah. but it will be soon you know so that was really cool yeah
0: um so with the game Alex, mm-hmm. what is the storyline of the game, you know? And uh, I guess also kind of also explain to people out there what the gameplay itself is going to be like.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the, uh, the story of the game is that it's set in the near-ish future of like 2065, and the Earth, you know, the, the environment has taken quite a, quite a toll And in the course of that, you know, melting ice caps and other environmental damage, that's kind of hordes of uh, monsters called Nephilim have spawned out of the Earth, and they've taken over cities. So these are giant monsters that have kind of nested in a few uh, major areas. And so as a response to this threat, the uh, Defense Alliance Worldwide Network, which is DAWN, is an organization that's created to combat the Nephilim, and they're doing that by, you know, with kaiju of their own. So there's uh, four player monsters that are agents of Dawn that you get to play, and uh, your goal is to kind of reclaim the earth from these Nephilim. But over the course of the game, you start to learn more and more about what the origins of the Nephilim are, and, uh, you know, things aren't necessarily what they seem. So there's some twists and turns and stuff. So the game itself plays in a similar vein to classic beat-em-up games like Streets of Rage, where you kind of scroll uh, up, down, left, right. You can kind of move around these little 3D arenas and uh, beat the tar out of hordes of other monsters. And you can play it one to four players' co-op. And uh, as you progress through the game, you're going to you know, collect loot by defeating these monsters. And then you can equip your characters with different what we're calling DNA augments to increase their powers. You can actually get some... You can get new abilities and new perks and increase stats and kind of beef up your team. So it's something that we're hoping will really appeal to people who like couch co-op play or who like, um, you know, action games like Bayonetta and God of War uh, and RPGs like Monster Hunter, that kind of stuff.
1: That sounds actually like a ton of fun. And it appeals to the... I mean, there's a very that's going to appeal to a wide range of people with the idea of loot and the perks and different things. I mean, like pretty much every game, like, you know, even like call of duty and stuff, there's upgrades and things available. So that's a really neat idea to incorporate and the story behind it, having like DNA as being a part of it. That's, that's pretty clever, man. I I like, I like it a lot.
2: Thanks. Yeah. And, and there's, there's a, there's a lot to the narrative. I I can't give away too much uh, yet, but there's a, it's something that we're really taking the time because, uh, you know, as, as I think, you guys would agree most people who enter the kaiju genre kind of green are surprised at how I don't know if I want to say talky but you know your average kaiju movie has 15 minutes of monster action and these are they're usually at least 90 minutes Uh, so there's something that's keeping people in for the other you know 75 minutes and that's what's keeping people around so we want to make sure that there's enough meat to the bones of the story that even if Dawn of the Monsters was a comic book, it would still be engaging. And then, you know, from a game perspective, we're also, we're, we're making a game for kaiju fans, absolutely, but we're also just making a game for anyone to enjoy. So we really want to make sure that it's going to be fun and engaging and exciting for people who don't even, like, like kaiju. They'll just want to play it because they think it looks cool and it plays well.
0: Um, so... I guess uh take a moment to kind of run down the the monster roster and kind of give us an idea of, you know, what these creatures are like. Um and uh also just uh the creature design, you know, uh, who designed them and, you know, how in- were you involved in that process? Um basically, what are these monsters and who created them?
2: Sure, yeah. So there's there's um there's two player monsters that we've revealed so far uh, at G Fest. One of them is Megadon, who is obviously the 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 toys is, is of Megadon, and uh, the other is called Ganira. And Ganira is a crustacean crab kaiju. It stands She stands upright. She's got these huge pincer claws. Uh, so uh, Megadon was the first kaiju we designed, and he went through a lot of iterations. I did some of the early iterations of the design, and then later our art director, uh, Takashi, he did kind of the the final iteration of it, and he did a really good job with it. So Megadon is a a kaiju that has molten magma running through his body, and uh, you can kind of see in his fists there's kind of like cracks. It looked like craggy rock, like volcanic rock, and there's cracks where the magma seeps through. So he can actually kind of channel that magma into his fists, and then when he lands a punch... It creates, like, volcanic explosions. So he's a kaiju that's very focused on this fire element. Uh, whereas Genera is a more of a water element kaiju. Um, she's a, a, a little tankier, a little slower, and more focused on, like, you know, long-range or... or, or long-range attacks or kind of controlling the space with different moves. Like, she can perform a... Um, uh, kind of like a typhoon tsunami kind of like vortex move uh, and she can even um, summon little little uh, crab uh, partners to fight for her um, and and uh, uh, there's one enemy kaiju that we also showed at g-fest uh, whose name is makairis and makairis has like a large blade protruding out of his head And uh, he's one of the Nephilim, so he's an evil enemy kaiju that you're there to destroy. And he's kind of like your cannon fodder enemy. He's not super um, unique, but there's other variations of him. So there's a variation that can charge at you, uh, variations with different kind of elemental attacks. So the the four main elements in the game are are burn, um, shock, uh, drench, and crumble. So burn deals damage over time as it sets you on fire. Shock stuns you and like locks you in a position like you've been electrocuted. Uh, drench slows your movement and your attack speed. And crumble reduces your defense. So these four elements are kind of the core attributes of like, like a lot of the combat. And so Megadon is fire and burn. Ganyera is water and drench. And then the other two we haven't uh, revealed yet. Though so there were silhouettes at the end of the trailer for those who saw it. Okay.
1: Um, all right. So what goes into developing a game like this? You kind of hinted at how long the process has been taking, but how long does it take to create the game? And what is the process to find bugs and fix them? Because I'm really curious to find, like, to, to learn about, you know, you, you have these issues that pop up. How do you find those issues? And when, they, when you find them, like, how long does a fix actually take?
2: So... In general with a video game you've got your pre-production phase where you do all the planning, the design work, you come up with the art style and that kind of stuff and you've got your main three teams of your art team, your design team and your programming team. So your designers are the people who come up with the mechanics and kind of the rules of the game, you know, how it's going to work, how it's going to play. And then it's up to the programmers to actually realize that in the game to program Okay, this character will move like this, they'll jump like this, they'll attack like this, and the artists just have to realize it visually and make it you know look good. so you you do your pre-production phase, you plan out everything as well as you can. And then when you're in production and you're actually making assets and you're making the animations and characters and and uh, attacks and systems that are needed, there's a lot of what we call iteration. so, you might make uh, all the features of the game at, you know, in one go, maybe over a couple months, and then look at it, look back at it, and decide, okay, what's working? What isn't? What do we need to start over again? What do we need to, what, what can we keep? And you keep doing that until you've got like a solid core, and then you just build out your content. Uh, and then once that's done, you enter the, the QA and bug testing phase. So once you've got everything that you think you want in the game, then you get, you spend a couple months With uh, your team or with external quality assurance studios, and you just play the game in as many ways as possible and try to break it as much as possible and report every break. So sometimes these breaks are like big and obvious, like, oh, my character is, you know, upside down when I load this level. (laughs) But (laughs) sometimes they're like really insidious, like, okay, if you go to this level at this specific time with this specific setting in your options, and then hold this button and shake the controller like the game crashes. And those can be super hard to find. And you're not going to find all of them, right? Uh, like, I like to say making a video game is like ironing a shirt. There's always, you know, you can keep ironing to try to get rid of all the creases, but, you know, there'll always be creases. Uh, and eventually you got to wear the shirt. So what we then do is once we've released the game, if there are still more bugs to find... Uh, our community reaches out to us. So, like, we've got a Discord. We've got our 13-Name Games Discord. We've got our our Twitter. We've got our Facebook. We've got our Steam forums, all that kind of stuff. And people will reach out to us in, in our email, and people will reach out and say, hey, I found this bug. We ask for the details and if they can reproduce it, and then we look into it, and then we can issue patches. So the beauty of the Internet being that even if we ship something and there's still a bug, uh, whereas like back in the day when we were playing like Super Nintendo games, if there was a bug, there was a bug forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you always know? get like stuck in a wall or something
2: <laughs> yeah, and like there's nothing you can do You're like, man, I paid 70 bucks for this, okay like damn uh, now it's it's like, okay, there'll be a patch, and in the patch we'll fix that bug and a bunch of other bugs, and sometimes in in those patches we'll even add little little touches or flourishes or little extra pieces of content for people, um, just for fun.
1: That's pretty. it's pretty awesome. Um, so, does this game feature any human cast or voice actors, or are there specific are there cutscenes that we can look forward to watching?
2: Yeah, yeah, there is. So the uh, the Dawn operates in a kind of uh, satellite station that orbits the Earth called the Sunrise, and inside the Sunrise are all the personnel that kind of man Dawn. You can almost think of it. Kind of like the the Science Patrol in Ultraman, they're the people who staff this place and who uh, you know take care of the Agent Kaiju and stuff like that. So that's where, in between every mission, you're in the Sunrise, you're at Dawn Headquarters, and you can go around and talk to people inside the space station and hear what they have to say. And every you know couple missions, there's a new story beat, a new story event that happens. So there's little cutscenes peppered throughout. Sometimes it's just characters with dialogue, like with just text on the screen, and then other times they're a little more uh, involved.
0: Okay. So do you have um, you have actors
2: as it uh, as it is, I mean, we're still pretty early in development. We, or, or is that a we, goal? I'd like to have voice acting in the game. We haven't done a game with voice acting yet. It's something that I'd like to do. Um, even if it's just like little chirps, like I know in some games characters won't necessarily talk, but they'll say like the occasional word and then it'll spill out the rest in, in text. So it's something that I think would be a really cool thing to have for Dawn, especially to give it more of that cinematic flair. You know, we're basing it off a movie genre. Um, But we'll see. It depends on if we get enough time to pull it off.
0: Um, So, I guess now would be a good time to talk a little bit about um, the art style in the game. I'm sensing a little bit of art deco here, a little Mike Magnola there. Um, What kind of uh, look were you trying to maybe emulate, and was there... um, you know, and I guess what led you to decide on the look that, that it has?
2: Yeah, that's a, good, uh, a really good question. The, you definitely touched on the, on the Mike Mignola stuff. Uh, essentially, when we were talking about this game, early in pre-production, I was sitting down with our art team and we were talking about how to make something uh, visually unique and, and distinct. Because a, a lot of kaiju video games that have existed go for a very traditional kind of uh, quote-unquote photorealistic look to them. Uh, or, or they're like really cartoony. You know, there's like no in-between. It's either photorealistic or goofy. So we wanted to offer something that visually no other kaiju game had had done up to that point to offer people something new that they hadn't seen. And what we started doing was looking at uh, kaiju manga. So we were looking at, like, different kaiju manga and comic books and stuff and looking at something really stylized. And then the idea came up, well, what if instead of trying to recreate the feeling of playing a a, a kaiju movie, we were looking at the feeling of playing, like, a kaiju poster or a kaiju uh, manga? So we took that idea and ran with it. And one of our pillars is that everything is turned up to 11. So the violence... Um, the the colors the contrast everything is is very intense in this game mm-hmm. so we ended up settling on this kind of manga meets Mike Mignola style and it's it, it wasn't in the G Fest trailer but there's actually even like those big you know manga or anime onomatopoeias that pop up uh, at certain points during combat so that was kind of where the the origin of that idea came for because the art went through a couple different iterations before we landed on that and we ended up liking that the most
0: um one thing that uh, you mentioned in the the panel at g fest was um how some of the monster sound effects were made i was just wondering if you could kind of get into that again and kind of explain some of the of of that to people who may not have heard that
2: yeah yeah for sure so We've got uh, a couple of people working on sounds, but the main creature sound designer guy, his name is Steve Roberts. He's been coming to G-Fest for a few years, and he works in uh, film and television doing sound editing. So he's obviously a huge kaiju fan, and so when I talked to him about doing this, we both agreed from the outset that we wanted to create kaiju roars that were, you know, for lack of a better word, like authentic. So when it came to making Megadon's Roar, he actually took a, what was it? A a cello bow. He bought a cello bow and he got some metal rulers and like an apple box. And he was like, I was like, what are you doing? He he invited me over and I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, trust me, this is going to work. And he put his mic up to it and he fiddled around with you know, rubbing the cello bow over this piece of metal. And when he put it into his when he recorded it, it sounded like super, super creepy. And then he took that and he, you know, pitched it and added a bunch of filters and added a bunch of other grunts and hisses and got like a real, you know, traditional Kaiju roar out of it. So he's been really doing the his due diligence in, in trying to create Kaiju roars that are unique and, and doing them through a, a more traditional uh, method that you might have seen, like, you know, Toho sound editors doing back in the day to make those kaiju roars. He
3: did a, I mean they they sound so good. I mean, I'm, I remember when you'd first shared the Megadon roar prior to me um, seeing the trailer. It was just it was just it sounded just so cool. So I was it, he did a, he did a great job. I mean, Steve uh, did great.
1: So how far along is the game in the Curiosity? I know you said that um, it's pretty early on. Can you talk about? How far along it's come, and and what kind of release date you anticipate?
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in terms of percentage, it's hard to pin down just because you know we did all of our pre production work. That's all out of the way. Now we're in production. Uh, a lot of our base systems are done. Uh, we're we're currently just making all the characters and kind of filling out that content. Uh, but I will say that the the proposed release date is you know like late 2020. Um, That's when we're hoping to get everything done and out by. So just over a year, I think, would be uh, about how far away we are from
0: release. Okay. Uh, Chris, so back to the the Megadon toy. Um, Just walk us through the process of getting a figure made. I mean, who do you go to? Um... You know, are there different versions and sculpts that you had to kind of go through just walk us through what that was like?
3: Sure. Um so we kind of had the 3D model of the character from the game, so we you know, we'd seen what that looked like. Um and again, huge shout out to Alex's team of designers at 13AM and uh you know, they were able to make it in the style of the figure we wanted it to. So, um as with any figure, everything has to be three dimensionally uh,
2: sculpted. Yeah, um, that was the, the the guy who who did the sculpt for us, uh, his name is Mike Lambert, and he's like a, he's worked on a bunch of video games over the years, um, but he's the one who actually built that kind of the Meganon as you see him, and did it in that Sophie style.
3: Yeah, and um, you know, once you have a model that you like, you know, and again, it's. It's all turning. I was like, okay, is, is, are the legs too big? Do you want to accentuate the hands more, the tail more? You know, it went through a little uh, design process there, um, but it's pretty close to what the original uh, 3D sculpt was. And then from there, uh, you know, we had to choose a manufacturer. So we had found uh, the company that we ultimately went with. Um, Uh, Actually on a recommendation from some people Alex knew and you know, we talked to a few places and uh, We'd went with them as as the best option and from there, you know, then it goes into You know the molding process and again um, You're basically paying per articulated point. So that means you know, do the arms move the legs move, you know I mean, that's that's really what we wanted, and we wanted to have a traditional Sofa bee that moved in all the same parts. I mean and, and thankfully we got some extras with like I was mentioning before with the wrists. So, you know, that process takes a while. And um once you have the kind of the 3D model, you do the color times, you figure out the color scheme that you ultimately want, it then goes to the manufacturer. Um and that's takes a few months and there's a little bit of test shots that are being done. And again, you're doing this all abroad so the thankfully our guy was really good about communicating with things. Um, sent us, like I was uh, saying, there's a 3D printed version that you get. And that's kind of where you give it like, okay, this is the direction you're going to be going with. Uh, Once we kind of gave the thumbs up on that, then it became the process of him actually physically making the parts. And then it uh, took, like I said, um, I think we had submitted it in January, The 3d model that we wanted and with the color scheme and everything and probably by the end of may they were all cast and pretty much you know getting ready and prepping and you know then from there you go and say okay you know once the figure's made and you're you're in production with it then it becomes okay um we need artwork so we did it as a header card and uh john Bellotti of robo seven um Came in and we we asked him. yeah John's a good friend of mine, and I've known him for years. And I've always been a big fan of his art. It's just really bright, it's colorful, it's really eye catching, and that's kind of what we wanted with Megadon. He just did such a fantastic job with it, and you know, we were kind of tinkering. with Okay, we had the original his drawing of Megadon. But then it's like, okay, what kind of background do we want? You know, and you tinker around with that for a little bit, um, and you submit that because he uh, actually our manufacturer actually was the one that did all the print work for us everything so basically when you get it shipped um everything kind of comes together so you know that's the bag the header card and the figure so i mean you know it was it was a little bit of a you know you can never have enough time i think with any of these projects that you work on but luckily everything got done um on schedule on time even the shipping i mean we had a few that arrived a little later to g-fest um, some of our shipment, but I mean, that's, you know, small potatoes compared to anything else. I mean, it was just, it was really great. And you know, a big thank you to Billy DuBose for letting us <laughs> ship all these tons of boxes from overseas to him. And he was really great about uh, helping us out with everything. And once we had it done, it was just like, okay, you know, you know, ready, set, go. And, you know, you're just, you're waiting to see what the reaction is from the public.
1: So, <clears throat> what do you think the future holds for Seismic? Do you have any projects that you would like to take on? Do you have anything in the works that you want to talk about?
3: Sure. Um, we have all... I mean, it's it's always kind of fun, because me and Alex will, will talk about things, and, and there's, 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 there is a list, and it's, okay, you know, this is what we're going to do next, and this is ultimately where we want to go next. So um, as far as what you can expect from us next, there are definitely perhaps some different... Uh, let's just say, colored and stylized versions of Megadon on its way, and there will be a new character for next year. So be on the lookout for that. We're actually going to be starting the process of designing a little earlier than we did last year, so we'll get the next character. Uh, We'll probably start working on that in October, Um, you know, once the fall kind of gets underway and Um, there's a lot of things that we have in the pipeline for what we want to be releasing. Uh, We have a few things. It's kind of premature to talk about it, so I don't want to jinx anything, but there's some target dates and target locations for how we want to get the next figures out and made. So if those all come to pass the way we hope, um, you know, we just our ultimate goal with Seismic is we can basically put out toys that not only that We are proud of and we like but that we know and you know you hope that people are going to gravitate towards and people are going to enjoy so uh whether that's a character and again uh even staying outside of the kaiju genre we don't want to just be limited to kaiju so for we love Mm it don't get me wrong but ultimately we want to open the doors to different characters whether they're pop culture um you know whether we're licensing something etc Um, that we can basically translate into a figure.
0: Have you looked into the world of licensing uh, yet?
3: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, um, It's, you know, it's got to have a little bit under the belt first. So I think once we kind of put our focus on this right now, Mm -hmm. uh, again, licensing can be very expensive. So then from there, we'll kind of circle back to those other characters that we want to uh, pursue.
2: Yeah. No, if if uh, if we were to do any uh, any licenses, what what would be at the top of your guys' list? Just wondering, off the top of your heads.
0: I mean, uh, I'm gonna just assume that Toho stuff is very expensive and <laughs> might be off the table. So, like, what would be like realistic for something like maybe like like I don't know, like it can't be that much to license like Gappa. <laughs> could it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I hear camera cool. is
1: down on his, uh, his lucky head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> poor camera. camera
3: you know? Poor guy, <laughs> poor can't camera. get a break. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think we take a cool lot of, kind of, you know, here. we want to hear like word of mouth too. And, you know, there's always that case of like, you know, if you could have a figure of something, you know, who would it be? Or what would it be? You know? So, yeah. Matt, any suggestions or,
0: yeah, Matt, you you're know, a toy gu- sure. toy guy. What what's not like who what's a cool character that's not like represented in the toy world very well?
1: I mean, most of the cool ones are like kind of taken. Uh there's like has it I don't think you already have like Megadon. What about Negadon?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's ever ever yeah, happened. If it
1: exists, I don't know if I've ever seen
0: one. Um I mean, Gahara, Gahara, yeah. the long and dark-haired monster, yeah. Yeah, there actually Marmot, was a sofa B figure of him.
1: Yeah, there was. Uh, I know Marmot made actually two variations of that at least. But yeah. um, stuff that I would buy would be like primarily Godzilla related. I would consider something like Dragon Ball Z. Mm. Then I'm kind of tapped out because you know I, I got a family to feed. Man, toys are expensive.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I always love the. I always love like the weird, kind of alternate. Toys. like I, I was at wonderfest this past february and you know you, you remember the uh what was it mattel who made the shogun warriors godzilla with the fist yeah, yeah those are really cool so someone i think it was max Toyko, they made us like a sofa be like an eight inch figure of that specific toy and like <laughs> it was just like a specific godzilla i always like that idea I, i'd love to do like i don't know like the 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 marvel godzilla as a figure or you know or something like that i think it would be really you know those kind of weird deep pulls i find are some of the coolest figures
0: yeah yeah chris if you could choose a character who would you pick Hmm.
2: Uh,
3: i do have a top three but again i'm not sure whether i should say them or not (laughs) yet because those are things like we're definitely like
0: Okay, if you could pick anything that like, you know is maybe unlikely, like you know, a Toho monster or something that just doesn't seem like it's in the realm of possibility and you could just materialize it as a figure for your company, what's like your dream figure?
3: You know, I would probably really love to do the unmade Jean de Bont. Godzilla. I always okay. really love the design of the Stan Winston Godzilla. Um, All
0: right, that's a know, great answer,
3: Ricardo yeah. Delgado. It's it's you know it, it would be really cool to to see that done. You know, as like the you know it's a what if kind of thing. That's the Godzilla yeah. we never got to see.
0: Yeah.
2: So who knows? I also i i, I really want to do like a a four character Seinfeld sofa set. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those humans so so and Those things sell like hotcakes. They really yeah. do.
2: <laughs> and you know, it's really it's
3: it's really cool because you know you go to FYE now. I mean, there's sofa be sold there. Um, you know, independent toy companies and, and designer toys like they're becoming a lot more mainstream. And they're they're in collectible shops. People are buying them at shows, and you know, it's a, it's an encouraging thing because. It's so it's a fresh thing for people to get as a collectible, and just for the designers. I mean, at Five Points, I mean, we met tons of different people, and they're just—they're really high spirited, they're really creative, really just good, good people. And you know, it's it's nice to see them flourishing. And you know, we're just you know, kind of rookies and you know, dipping our toe into this world. And you know, it's, it's a been a, it's been a fun ride. Yeah,
2: it's not just Club Tokyo anymore.
0: Oh, do bad. the giant claw. Oh, buddy,
2: oh, that's a cool one. That's a good one. Yeah, that would that would make my day. Less include And include included a, a battlestick. Yeah, oh, yeah. Can
1: you can you make the the circular pattern that it flies in the air? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that'd and be like the
3: accessory. We can make the uh, Rick exclusive, and it'll come with the string that the characters are. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I think that what excites us is, is again, there's so many possibilities. Uh, you know, right now we're we're focusing on uh, the characters with Dawn of the Monsters, but ultimately where it could go, it's it's kind of the sky's the limit. As long as you can, and you know, you're whether it's licensing something and you get the okay for it, um, or you're just designing something new. I mean, it's really you know, I'm 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 going to be cheesy here, but I think it really applies to what we've kind of been doing the last year and a half. But, you know, just. If you got an idea and you know you have a passion for something, and we were we talked about this, you know, because even you know, you know, fans just going to GFS, you know, when we're young. It's like you know, ten years ago, oh man, it would be great one day if we like make a toy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And you know, and here we are. And we we made a toy, and you know, that to me is like you know, just follow your dreams and just don't give up. Like, just keep going with it. If you have an idea and a passion for something, have at it.
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: Um I didn't I didn't think I'd ever make a toy.
3: <laughs> Same here, I, you know, it's like, it's like a kind of a bucket list thing almost, you know. Yeah. Um
0: so are there any movies, games or comics uh specifically that had a special influence on Dawn of the Monsters, whether it's the monsters themselves, the gameplay itself, um any like games, mo- movies, comics, anything else that kind of you either went back to a lot or thought about a lot in the development of the game uh
2: yeah there's 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 quite a few there were a lot of great beat-em-ups that i played growing up um streets of rage and that kind of stuff like i mentioned before but there's also kind of more modern action games like bayonetta or metal gear rising that have had a huge influence god of war um doom you know all these kind of really strong action games have had a a big uh, influence on the on the design of the game Uh, and and to a lesser extent action rpgs like monster hunter and that kind of stuff for more of the systems about growth uh, and whatnot and as far as movies i mean i made sure once once uh once we were like once we knew we were making dawn of the monsters i sat the dawn team down and i was like okay we're gonna have a movie night every week for the next, I, don't, I think it was like three or four weeks, and we're going through the classics. So we watched Godzilla 54, we watched Mothra vs. Godzilla, we watched the Gamera Trilogy, we watched GMK, uh, we watched some Ultraman. I just made sure that everyone had like a good baseline on what like I thought were like the, the creme de la creme of uh, of kaiju. Um. So it's good that everyone has that that baseline appreciation. But a movie that – or a, a couple of movies that I've been coming back to a lot because of the the way they present their story is uh, Pat Labor 1, 2, and 3. So I don't know if um, anyone here is familiar with those movies. I, I know Pat Labor 3 was featured in Kevin's book because it's like a kaiju movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, But those movies were all, I believe they were all written by Kazunori Ito, who's the guy who wrote the Gamma Trilogy. And they're just really, you know, I don't like dense political thrillers mixed with like cool sci-fi elements. Um, They're not everyone's cup of tea, but I just find that they do a really good job of like establishing a strong theme and creating an air of mystery that I really enjoyed.
0: Okay, and the the game, rem, at least the from what I've seen, also has a little bit of like a King of the Monsters kind of. Oh yeah, that, yeah,
2: hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah. Uh, especially King of the Monsters two, where it kind of had those beat 'em up sections. Um, that was something that we everyone on the team played both King of the Monsters games, and uh, yeah, that was something that we definitely all used as a as a touchstone
0: and you mentioned monster hunter too and like until i listened to your your panel from G, like i i knew it was popular but like i had no idea that it's like one of capcom's like huge money-making properties now like uh because like i said i'm out of touch and lame when it comes to to games now <laughs> so yeah i had no idea that like Overall, that's like as far as giant monster franchises across media. Like, I had no idea that was like one of the biggest things. Which I guess explains why we're getting a movie, which is, yeah. It
1: looks bad,
0: but we are. Well, and and it's co-produced by Toho, so I mean, it's gonna be. I let's just say this: I cannot wait until.
2: The Kaiju Transmissions episode reviewing that film.
0: Yeah, it's gonna happen. Well, it's it's Toho and Sony, and we we know what happened last time they uh, started talk, they talked to each other.
1: Everything turned out fine, guys. Everything was fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Monster Hunter World is awesome. They're actually getting ready to release their uh, like uh, their expansion soon, so that'll be. I'm sure that'll sell a gazillion copies as well. But that, I, yeah, it's a very addictive game, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that.
2: Yeah, it's and it's just nuts how how popular that game is i mean now worldwide but especially in japan it's like you know people make jokes about national holidays you know everyone would take work off when a new dragon quest game came out um so that you know they would just release them on weekends instead of weekdays monster hunter is like that where people just go so nuts for it um and so I'm, i'm super excited to see where they're taking the series next so do you guys
1: have a favorite monster from your game? Can you I mean I don't even know if you can talk about that because you have a couple of monsters you haven't you haven't mentioned but
2: there There are monsters that we haven't mentioned yet, but i I think I mean here's the thing. I took so Gaira, the crab monster um I actually like designed that monster myself, so I'm obviously very proud of it but like i I really like Megadon. I was really happy with how Megadon came out just cuz there's there's a lot of dinosaur shaped kaiju and there's a lot of dinosaur shaped kaiju that kind of blend together in my brain um and Megadon's got this really cool look and concept that you know I was just really happy with with how he turned out
1: what about you Chris
3: uh, you know, I'll be partial and say Megadon um, I have seen I guess I could probably say that I, I have seen some of the other kaiju in the game um, and I definitely think they're pretty cool but I don't want to elaborate on them <laughs> but I, I mean Megadon I, and Gineira is really really cool I love the color scheme on her I think she's just really awesome looking um, I guess it's, it's, coo- it's interesting because you know I mean, years ago, five like five years ago, I I had stayed with Alex. Uh, this is right where he s- first started up the company, and he was working on Runbo. And you know, it's pretty amazing to see. You know, I, you know, I was just staying in his house, and you know, he was working on the game. And you know, now to see that it's it's like now this is like all right, this is video game number three, and you know, just it's just taking off the way it is. It's you know, I'm just I think it's just amazing. And again, it's it's kudos to him uh, and and huge uh, kudos to his team. They're just they're really a wonderful group of creative people.
0: Thank you. Um, so do you have any ideas or plans on what consoles the game will be released on?
2: That's like the number one question that we get. Um, and all I can say is uh, we can't say yet, but uh, we've heard a lot of people's you know, calls and preferences and our goal is to have as many people as possible play it. So, uh, I hopefully we'll be able to announce that information like b- pretty soon. But uh, there's some some um, contracts and you know ink that needs to dry before we can formally announce that.
1: Do you have any? Uh, I mean, you may not be able to answer this question then, but do you have plans for where the game will be available? I mean, you talked about digital downloads, but will be a physical copy available in stores?
2: So we've done physical before, like you can buy a Rumbo in in um, Epic Games or whatever. Uh, it, what will likely happen? What we usually like to do is release the game digital first, and then once we've kind of you know, release the all the the game and the DLC and all the patches, then like bundle it up in like a special edition package. Uh but we'll see cuz that also depends on, you know, our publisher and what they're interested in doing. So you know, sometimes they're like, "Oh, we want to do digital day 1," and sometimes like, "No, we'd rather wait." So uh it's something that that we've got a lot of demand for, so I I'd really like to do it. I love having physical copies of my games. Um so I can lend them out and you know see it on my shelf
0: um so do you alex um with you know doing a presentation or anything like you did at g-fest or either of you with seismic do you have any upcoming events or uh, convention appearances or anything like that um uh planned or, or mapped out at the moment anything upcoming
3: uh, uh we few shows locally here um district con this month i'll be at jersey fest and there's the merchant bill toy show uh zolo con in february and then you know we'll do five points and you know it's one of those things like you you a lot of these shows it's like you know you, you try some shows one year and then it's like okay you want to stick to the ones that you know are really good or you enjoy doing um, there are a few other shows and events that we are currently working on so fingers crossed that all kind of comes to fruition the way we want it to. And uh, obviously, we'll let you guys know uh, when that's going to be. Uh, right, hopefully, yeah. it'll be like uh, after the new year and stuff like that. We can kind of get those
2: things going. Um, yeah. yeah, and I'll I'll be attending. I'm actually on, on Sunday. I'm leaving to Tokyo to attend SEDEC and Tokyo Game Show. I'm not um, showing anything there, but I'll, I'm mostly just there for meetings uh, but if anyone's I don't know in, in Tokyo and they want to say hi or like go check out Nakano Broadway or something, uh hit me up, tweet at me or something. I also usually attend MiGs, GDC and E3
0: every year. So That's
1: pretty awesome. Those are all the big the big ones, the big gaming stuff.
0: Yeah. Um so where can people see more of Dawn of the Monsters? Uh trailers, um, Uh, images uh monster designs etc so the best place for that is uh our website
2: 15 gamescom has a down of the monsters section uh there we haven't uploaded the trailer yet because we're still waiting for a couple of um things to finalize before we before we do that but there's some a lot of information there there's also our and, and some images there's also our our Discord, 13 a.m. Games Discord, which you can find on our website. And uh, our Twitter account, at 13 Games. So that's where we tend to post all of our news and share stuff with our fans. Uh, we also have a Facebook uh, page as well. So any of those are, are a great place to reach out to us, get in contact with us, and to see all of our uh, latest news as we post it
1: that was actually my next question. How can people reach both of you? Uh go ahead and plug anything and everything. Your Twitter, Facebook.
2: My personal phone number. <laughs> <laughs> uh my so my Twitter is at goji underscore guy. Um I it's a good way to reach out to me. Otherwise my, my blog is upfromthedepth.net. dot net. Um
0: Yeah. And like we said, that is a blog dedicated to kaiju games and getting into the history behind them etc etc right yeah which you're, you're you are feeling like a void like when it comes to like not non-movies like movies and toys anything other than that like there's like nobody ever is talking about the making of the games or the comic books or whatever so
2: yeah it's it's weird right because like everyone i know has played so many kaiju video games and I'm like, oh, well, did you know that the people who made Godzilla Monster of Monsters made another, like, made a Gunhead video game? And everyone's like, what? I didn't know that.
0: I'm like, Is that the oh, one Kanye like, West loves? Yeah, it's Kanye yeah, West's it's good. video game.
2: <laughs> you know? And th- th- these are important facts that people need to know.
0: Yes, yes, it's very... <laughs> It's very important uh (laughs) chris we know about Kanye the better i'm just gonna say um chris uh any um any social media websites etc that you would like to plug have it sure
3: um yeah i'm on i'm on social facebook twitter instagram as well as we have uh, seismic as well there so you can find both me there or you can also find the company there and uh Visit www.seismictoys.com. Again, the site is only about a week old, so we have the current two Megadons there, but I can assure everybody listening, there is more coming, and there will be also additionally more content and product that will be added over the next few weeks on the site. So uh, if you're looking for toys, keep up to date with us online, and we'll be uh, sharing news and updates as soon as they're available.
0: All right.
1: Well, thanks for coming on, guys. Really appreciate you talking about video games and Seismic and all the cool stuff you've been doing.
0: Thanks, man. appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, yeah I, was a blast. no, it's super cool to see, you know, little projects like this that are I don't know, filling kind of a void that we're in content that we're getting. And, um, yeah, I mean, we like to support, whether it's uh, games or toys or indie films or fan films or whatever it's a project we believe in we want to you know help spread the word in any way that we can and yeah i I think you guys have shown a lot of promising stuff awesome thank you so much
3: yeah i appreciate it guys thanks again
0: yeah no problem all right um and i guess we're out of here